What's up, everybody? This is Marlins in-game host, Mike B., and you're listening to Fish Across the Pond, Marlins UK podcast with Peter Pratt. Cheers from the 305. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Fish Across the Pond, the Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and delighted to welcome today Craig Mish onto the show. Craig, how are we? Great to talk to you, Peter. How is everything? Everything is good as such uh, back in lockdown in the UK. So, you know, things have trended the wrong way here. But me personally, I'm safe and well and uh, excited to talk some baseball with you. So what about you? Everything okay? Yeah, everything is great. It's it's definitely a different time, as, as you know, for yourself and for everyone here in the States, too. And we're getting ready for the baseball offseason, another virtual offseason, Peter. So I expect this to be a very peculiar and interesting one, but hopefully it'll keep me busy. Uh, that is guaranteed. There is, uh, you'll be very busy. I'm, I'm 100% sure on that. And we're going get to get to the offseason at the back end of this pod. Before we get there, I just wanted to get your take. The dust has settled now on this 2020 season. 60-game sprints, double-headers, rule changes, expanded playoffs, neutral sites. Eventually, the Dodgers win the World Series. How did you enjoy the series as a fan? Well, it was great to have baseball back. And, and, I, and I think that for me, it was overwhelmingly positive. There were a lot of hiccups along the road, for sure. It was definitely one of the more interesting things that I've ever covered. And, and not being able to cover it in person was, was different because a lot of what I would do in, in my reporting and behind the scenes, Peter was all via phone and via text and call. And, and that's not, you know, and some of that happens, of course, that, that's a big part of reporting, but some of it is also in person and none of that was able to be accomplished. So I think in particular for me, what stands out is when the Marlins went through the, the whole COVID-19 and, and I, and I know that the season itself went well after that point, they did make the postseason, they did beat the Cubs but if I, if I had to look back on it personally and say what sticks out for you from that season, it was just what they went through to get to that point. I think that the process was, was definitely something that I've, I've never experienced and, and hearing all about it and hearing what everyone was going through at the time was, was very unique. So, uh, but, but overall, I thought the season was a success. The only thing that I would have hoped for was a little bit of a longer season. I think that they probably could have accomplished that had they started talking about that earlier on. I don't know that they would have ever played a hundred games, but I think 70 something would have been uh, the only thing that I missed just a few more games really. But uh, in the end, I think the right team won and the right team won the world series. And so again, just happy to have sports back and have baseball back in particular. Were there any uh, other than the, the bits, you know, the in-person stuff, I know that's huge for, for you and what you do covering the team. Were, were there any, bits that were positive, you know, some changes for you or the way that you were able to operate. Were there any positives that <laughs> really that came out of this, uh, this season? Well, I, I mean, I, I guess you could say that you, you become a better reporter because you have to work a little bit harder, not having direct access in person to people. I guess that maybe I could use that mm. having to dig a little bit harder on stories. I, I suppose that I could say that too. It, it, it came a little bit easier when you could see people face to face and I think that's part of the game, too, is especially when you're dealing with with players and with executives and just people around the league. Yes, it's very easy to have a phone conversation. 
It's very easy, Peter, to have a text conversation. But sometimes folks just feel a lot more comfortable talking to you when you're face to face. And and that and I've definitely experienced that through the years, too. I can't say that it's every time, but when you don't know someone that well and then you just pick up the phone and expect them to tell you what's going on or, or give you a peek behind the scenes, it's not that easy. It's not as easy as when you see somebody in person and in the past you shake their hand and you say, here's who I am and you have that conversation. And I know that you're experiencing that now from the UK and for, you know this year being able to have that virtual experience. So uh, I, I think that the, the, from a virtual point of view, I thought it was cool to be able to do all the post games there. I'm not someone in particular, Peter, that loves to stay when the game is seven, uh, seven nothing either way, either side in the ninth inning. I like to leave. And so I'm, I don't participate in every post game in person anyway. So to have that ability to listen afterward to me was, was pretty cool. And, and I hope that that's something that continues. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm an advocate of that. So, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. And the other thing um, just on, I guess, 2020 versus other uh, seasons, you've covered the Marlins for a long time now. And in particular, the last couple of years, you've really focused in on the Marlins, let's say, how, how much more enjoyable was it to have a Marlins team that was in it all the way, obviously ended up making the playoffs. I mean, we've had a couple of rough years, right? So it, it changes things when the team is, is in there competing right, right to the end. Oh, for sure. And, and I think that the last week of the season up until the point that they clinched the, the drama of it kind of going back and forth and them scuffling a little bit over the last few weeks, last week, I guess, or two, being unsure if they're going to get in or not, and then seeing if it's going to happen in New York, and then it did. So I, I think that that for me, that was very compelling to see if it was, you know, is this really going to happen? Because when you talk about almost two decades of not getting in, you're never particularly sure, and, and things change in baseball so quickly. But to have Sandy on the mound in, in that big game and clinching game, and, and he ended up getting it done, uh, at that point, I believed that anything could happen from that point forward, because when I looked at the, the pool, as far as the teams that they were going to play, and I've told a lot of people this publicly too, is that my feeling was as long as they don't have to get LA, I, I think that they could overtake anybody. Mm -hmm. and, and clearly I was wrong in the end because they got, you know, manhandled by the Braves clearly in the, in the final series, but they, they, some, some people who I talked to thought they were very confident going into that Cubs series that they were going to be able to beat them. So that that really didn't surprise me all that much. And I think that what you're seeing now with the Cubs is they've identified that they have a problem too, and they may be tearing some things down. So it was eventful. It was fun. And, and yeah, to see them win that Cubs series and move on, they were kind of playing Peter with house money at that point. I, I didn't really have high expectations. I thought that they would play a little bit more competitive against the Braves. I thought maybe they'd win a game, you know, like I thought that they could, but they, they should the Braves showed that they are just in a different class in the Marlins, but a great season overall. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I want to just dive into, I want to look backwards a little bit and I'd like to just get a sense from you. We're at the trade deadline this year. The Marlins made some major moves and they acquired obviously Starling Marte. They also moved Jonathan VR. So they actually were very active at the deadline and you know, for any Marlins fan, I'm sure a lot of baseball fans, I'm sure they have notifications turned on that day for Craig Mish. I know I do because it's a day when there's news breaking, things are happening, and we come to you as a as a source for what's going on. Oh, thanks. Uh, that, that I mean, I'll speak for for Marlins Twitter out there. That's that's the vibe. So, what I'd love to hear is, how, 
what was going on? Like, what does trade deadline look like for you, you know, in 2020? I, I sense like it started quiet. You sense like it was going to be quiet and then it really ramped up. So just give us a little peek behind the curtain of what it is you're up to, who you're talking to, how, you know, how are you talking to these guys? Right. And, and, you know, all that kind of, you know, it ends up with a tweet announcing, you know, a couple of deals, which were major. Yeah, it, it's, it's never an easy process. And, and I, rem- and, you know, every trade deadline is different. Two years ago, Peter, I was at the stadium when they, when they made the trade of, you know, when they traded Zach Gallen for, for Jazz Chisholm. Mm-hmm. And I, and I remember that deal. I remember uh, at that time I had heard that they were trading Zach Gallen. And I remember being in the parking lot with my phone and I hadn't gone into the stadium yet at that point. So for 30 minutes, basically I'm detached from driving to my house to the stadium. And then I remember getting there. And again, I'm dealing with other teams too. You know, I'm speaking to other teams also, not just the Marlins to try to get a, a, a sense of it. And, and I think I remember texting someone, I don't recall. And, and some, of, some of the part of this too is with reporting is that if you're a good guesser, you can really do well. Like if, if you follow the game and you follow the process and you basically, I wouldn't want to say it's like you're backing someone up against a corner, but if you can impress somebody with your knowledge of the game and guessing who they may acquire, that usually, you know, sometimes that bodes well. I did, I did say that, did they get Jazz Chisholm? And I remember at the time guessing the first name and getting that correct. I think I even spelled Jazz's name wrong, his last name wrong in the text as I think about it now and I was corrected. But so that was, so, so I did not, I don't think I got a, a gallon getting traded but I did get the return in Jazz Chisholm but that shocked everybody at the time. And I remember in the clubhouse after that feeling of, of, of gallon and seeing his face like shocked about being traded. It's rare you get that emotion from someone in a trade that you get to speak to them as they're walking out the door. Conversely, when Dan Heron was traded many years ago, uh, I remember seeing him waiting for his car or waiting for a taxi outside many, many years ago, Peter, when he was traded. And, and I saw him down there and I walked over to talk to him and he ran away from me. It was like really bizarre. Like I was like, I'm right here. Like I'm, you know, and he was like, like scared of me standing there. I remember that too. Uh, when he was traded, he was waiting to, I guess he got traded to the Cubs, I think, or, or the Dodgers, I can't recall. So, so that's how that trade happened. And then the, the Rays trade, I had word for word. I, I basically, in the relationships that I had at the time and still do, I was just able to simply get that trade when they traded uh, uh, Nick Anderson and got back, um, and got back uh, Sanchez, I believe it was. And the way that that deal went down, Peter, was basically the Rays uh, had called the Marlins several times on Nick Anderson, and they kept Marlins kept saying no unless you give us something else, and the Rays refused. And that extra player was Ryan Stanek at the time. And basically, right before the deadline hit at the trade deadline, the Rays called the Marlins back and said, "Okay, we'll do the deal, and we'll give you Ryan Stanek." And I think that, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Hill was the one who basically was who put, who put his foot down and said, unless you give us Stanek, we are not doing the deal. And that's how that deal went down. And then as far as this past year, all phone, you know, all, all waiting, you're right. Early in the day, it did not seem like the Marlins were going to do very much, but as the day progressed, I had heard that they were chasing an outfielder and a really high quality outfielder. 
And I wasn't sure who it was, but I knew it was Arizona. So I, I knew that it was going to be someone on the Diamondbacks. And, and I didn't know if it was Peralta or maybe Calhoun, who was on a short-term deal. But then as I sort of put everything together, it occurred to me that Marte was the guy. And, and, and I ended up sort of guessing right on that too. Um, when I say guess, it's not that I'm just throwing darts, Peter, but if, if you're knowledgeable enough to construct a trade after a trade has sort of been consummated, I, I feel at least with my contacts around the league, they're going to give me credit for that. And they're, they're going to say yes, no, maybe. Now, if you just are randomly just throwing names and throwing darts out there, that's not something that's going to get you any respect in terms of reporting. You have to come with material to yeah. sources. Like you have to be able to work and, and you can't, in my opinion, go on a trade deadline day and just say, uh, is this guy getting traded? I mean, that's not doing any work. That's just basically asking somebody else who is in the know, who is a source to just give you the information and no one's going to do that. You have to work and, and you have to show interest and you have to be passionate about it. And I think that I have all those things. And I think that's why I'm respected. That's why I think that I get a lot of the information that I get. So I don't know if that fully answered the question, but that kind of gives you a little bit of a peek behind uh, the door. In terms of VR, um, you know, I had to ask around. And once he was pulled out of the game, I think it was very evident at that point that he was going to get traded. I think I was the first to have that. And then when, you know, when something, you know, you fire Twitter up, you're typing it in VR, traded, you know, have you verified that with, you know, would you call up the Marlins and go, Hey, listen, this is what I've heard. Well, I'm going to put it out there. You're going to verify the information you've been told, or do you kind of trust the sources that are telling you already? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I would say it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, there there's, there are going to be things that are going to be sensitive in nature. And I think that that has to be considered before you do any reporting. Yeah. And so a good example of that, I would say, would be, Peter, when um, the Marlins had, I, I believe, a, I don't remember what Chip Bowers' title was, but it may have been president of some kind two years ago. And when they hired him three years ago, he was brought in to be basically running a lot of the non-baseball ops with, with the Marlins. And then, and then if you remember, a year later, they basically let him go uh, yeah. under contract. And... I was told that he was fired and, you know, just basically uh, fortunate enough, again, for people who respect me, like me to say, Hey, you may want to get on this because Chip Bowers was fired by the Marlins. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's the kind of thing, Peter, that I have to check yeah. with the Marlins on, you know, and, and, and it's, they're not always going to give me a, a confirm or deny that's for sure. But I do have to at least say, hey, look, this is what I've heard. And, and I feel confident enough that I'm going to go with it. So, you know, this is sort of the opportunity to, to say either no comment or can confirm or can deny. And in and, and a, a lot of situations, you, will, you won't see me say the Marlins will confirm because I've done my own confirming on it. But I am sensitive in nature to things. And I will at times check in just to say, hey, look, this is what I have and this is what I'm going with. Because I think that's the fair thing to do. Yeah, seems fair. Are you ever nervous? You know, you're typing it out. Are you nervous that something could backfire? You know, if you if something isn't, I guess, rock, rock solid, if that's even a term. Yeah, I, I think that a few years ago, I probably was more nervous than I am now. I, I think that during the 
when Stanton was getting traded. And I, if I remember correctly, when, it, when he was getting dealt, I was, I think that that's kind of maybe what put me a little bit more on the map as far as a reporter, because I, I think that I was all over that story a lot. And so I was doing a lot of interviews. I mean, I do them all anyway now, but I think at that time, that was kind of an awareness that I'm serious, I guess, in the game a few years ago. And I've been reporting on the Marlins for years, but I never really tried to dig very hard on information. And, and I think that to me, that's what changed for me is I thought, well, you know, being a reporter isn't just, isn't just holding the microphone and putting it in somebody's face. I don't think, I think that you have to be somewhat of an insider. I think that you have to get behind the curtain a little bit and tell people what's going on. And, and I think that it's your obligation to work a little bit harder than the next person. And it was really interesting that I I think it was, it was George King who just retired, Peter. He was a very prominent writer who covered the Yankees for, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years. And one of the other Yankee reporters put out a tweet a couple of months ago saying that the reason why they liked, the reason why George King was so good was because they feared him. And it was because they were scared what was George King going to have in his column on Sunday morning that they didn't know. Right. And I think that that to me is part of what drives me as well. Mm-hmm. is I want, I, I want, I, it's not that I want to be feared, but I want everybody else out there to wonder what I know. I think that there is a part of secrecy that I enjoy with that, where I, I like getting a story and I like, and I do enjoy beating other people to a story. So uh, that really hit home for me when, when I, when I heard that. And, and I think that that is, is a part of my process too, as I, as I kind of like doing that. So, yeah, I, I think that the Stanton thing was to circle back. Sorry to go off track. I think the Stanton thing was was scary for me because I had so much information at the time that nobody else had. I had the four teams that he would accept the deal to. I had that for days before I put it out, Peter. I had that for days. Yeah. And I had confirmed it with someone who told me it was incorrect. And And I'll never forget the text I got. It was probably like... I don't know, a day or two later saying, wow, you were on the money with those teams. And I'm like, what do you mean? You have it. Those are the four teams that he's going to accept the trade to. And I remember saying, well, I told you that, you know, days ago. And here I am. I could have got beat on the story. And I think at midnight, I put that thing out of the, of it was, I, I believe it was the Yankees, the Cubs, the Dodgers and the Astros. Those were the only four teams that Stanton would go to. Then I was covering his trade. I had him flying to San Francisco, uh, his agent flying to San Francisco. I had like every single piece of minutia of that thing. But yes, nervousness does occur, not as much as it used to. I will say that I feel very confident, a lot more confident the last three years than, than I ever have. But there's no doubt that when you send out a tweet of you're cutting somebody, this guy's been released, this guy's been waived, you have to think like, wow, somebody in this person's family is going to be seeing this. Does he know? Um, you know, and that's why I'm careful about those sort of things. So Yep. Not as nervous, Peter, as I used to be, but definitely I'm very careful before I send something. I know how important it is. Yeah, sounds sensible. And obviously, you know, as part of the, the Marte deal, um, Caleb Smith going the other way, been a big part of the Marlins the past couple of years. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll know Caleb pretty well. Yeah. You know, are you reaching out to Caleb there in that moment as, as this is happening or are you letting the dust settle? Like... You know, sure. What? So I was the one who reported that Caleb Smith was in the deal. I did have that. 
uh, let me see what happened after that. Uh, I don't think that I reached out to him because I knew it was, I knew he was in the deal. I didn't, I, I don't think I reached out to him immediately because, oh, you know what it was is I believe I told his agent immediately. I, I knew before his agent did, I think in wow. this case, I, I don't remember the process. I, I, I don't remember exactly. I think I was the one who told his agent. I'm, I'm fairly sure on that. He may have known, but the uh, agents are a big part of the business. I think everybody knows that. And yeah. so, so it's not a, it's not a matter Peter of, of directly speaking to, to the, to the player in that spot. Now I do have relationships. Of course I do with players on the Marlins and everywhere else. I mean, it's just part of the game, but in, in, in trade situations in general, it's a lot of dealing with teams and agents as opposed to players, at least for me, sometimes yeah. it does include a player, but in this case, Peter, to answer your question, I think probably hours later, I texted Caleb, Hey, uh, you know, good luck and everything like that. And he's like, thanks. And then, um, and that, I don't, I don't think it went much further than that, but it, we had a good relationship and, 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 you know, talking in person, texting relationship, but no, I would not say that he was one of the guys that I felt like immediately I had to say, Hey, were you traded or anything like that? Because I knew at that point. So, yeah. um, but I certainly wish him the best. He was always very nice to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one, one person we've already mentioned uh, on this is Mike Hill. Uh, he's obviously, he wasn't extended, no contract expired. Um, and there was a discussion, no extension, et cetera, et cetera. A tweet you put out yesterday, as we record this on Friday. Um, yeah, when is it? When, we got to get this out immediately because we're going to have uh, news probably in the next week or less, maybe even Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's going to be quick. Exactly. This, this has got to be out. Exactly. So, you know, you put something out there yesterday, the Marlins are thinking outside the box on this one. Um, what's, what can you tell us on that one so far? What, what, what are you hearing? This is the, this has been a very tough one, Peter, for, <laughs> for me, I fully expected to, to know who their, who their head of baseball operations would be at this point, but I don't, and nobody else does. Uh, I could tell you that, that Derek Jeter knows who it's going to be. I can tell you that uh, their uh, principal owner, Bruce Sherman, I'm sure is involved in this process. So I'm guessing uh, he knows exactly who it is. I'm guessing Gary Denbo knows who it is. Um, there's probably a couple of other people who know, but I'm not one of them. As we sit here on, let's see, Friday, 930 in the morning, I don't know who it is. And I would tell you if I did. I think that shows you a little bit about who I am. How many reporters would tweet out that they don't know the answer to something, right? Like that, mm -hmm. I don't, I'll tell you straight up that, that I don't know. I thought I would, I thought, I thought I'd get here. Look, the, the terms I used were the terms that I was given. I'm, I, I think that we're going to be probably a little bit surprised with whoever they end up hiring, but in the end, it probably makes sense. I don't, I don't think it's a wild hire. I, I, I wouldn't say that, but I've gone through a lot of names, made a lot of contacts, made a lot of calls, Peter. Mm -hmm. And, and I suppose that this is just one of those deals where they, they just want to keep it really secret and, and don't want anybody to know. So for whatever reason, I, I don't know what that reason is. Maybe we'll find out in a press conference in the next week or so, but I, I was kind of told pretty much early on in this process that, it was going to be done this way for whatever reason. So uh, the only thing that I know at this point, it looks like it's not a president of baseball operations. It looks like it's like a chief or a head of baseball ops. That seems more plausible. 
and and clearly and I'm, I'm speculating here but clearly with with the money that mike hill was making which i would say well, was fair but also given to him by the previous regime i would say that the club stands to reason that whoever gets hired is probably going to make less money uh, and i think that that's I wouldn't say that that's the main reason that they're hiring whoever this person is, but I would guess that they are going to be saving money with whoever uh, is brought in to do this. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled. I'm intrigued to see how this one plays out. Speaking of money and, you know, <laughs> what will be a very, very interesting off season, because I guess the early ripple effect is there's been some high value options that haven't been picked up by various teams uh, on players. The Marlins, I guess, included in that with Kinsler, right? Where they, they haven't picked up his final year. Um, you know, I guess the idea is we'll see if we can make another deal perhaps with a, you know, the reality is COVID has severely impacted uh, every, every baseball team's financial situation. There's no getting away from that. And so it's going to make it really interesting in terms of how things play out. How do you see the market kind of shifting and reflecting, you know, where we're at financially as a, as a league, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know, because there's there's a few things that are in play. The first thing we need to realize is that I don't think a lot of deals would get done until we know if there's a designated hitter in the National League, because that's going to open up some additional financial revenue for the players. And also they'll be have, having to be some give and take with the owners. So that's first. Secondly, and, and the thing that I don't think is being discussed enough is I, I don't know that there's going to be 162 games next season without fans again, Peter. So I, I don't know what will happen, but that's a definitive part of, of the coming days and months with Major League Baseball because as it stands right now in the States, and again, I am just going off reading, so don't take this one way or the other, but it does seem like any kind of vaccine would not be available, at least at the beginning of the 2021 season. So hard to speculate on this sort of thing, given the nature of it. But if we were to assume that nothing is prepared and, and fans cannot come in full as they used to in April and May, let's just use those two months. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know that the owners, Peter, are going to be willing to pay players for 162 games without fans again. So are we looking at 140 game season? Are we looking at a hundred game season with expanded playoffs again. I think that these are all fair questions that have to be asked. And once those get resolved, I think that the free agent frenzy will begin. And I think that the players that you've heard at the top, like Trevor Bauer and JT real Muto and George Springer, I think that those players will be fine. And I think that they're going to be paid and paid very well. It may take longer into the off season. Like it did two years ago, January or February that I definitely can see, but I'm not concerned about baseball's financial health at all. I think they'll be fine. But we do need to get those issues resolved because before that, if you're if you're an owner of a major league baseball team, you want to know, can are we going to make money at the gate? And, and that's maybe an issue for the first half of the baseball season. So does that eliminate games? I don't know the answer to that. So hmm. in terms of the Marlins, Peter, I, I don't see them going out and, and spending $200 million on a player. I don't know that, that I see them spending $100 million on a player. And in particular, this free agent class isn't really conducive to anyone that I see that would really make sense in, in, that, in that sense. So I, I think they'll get more, a lot more aggressive in 2022, but I do think that the upgrades are needed and, and we can certainly get into that as well. Yeah. In terms of Ria Muto, it's right that we have a brief... Uh 
brief point on on him. It sounds probably unrealistic for the for the Marlins to be in in that market right now. Um, for entertainment purposes only, you know where. <laughs> Where do you see the the potential landing spots for for Riamuto? I'm kind of thinking about this generally. You know, well, first question I've got is why why Philly didn't lock him up early on when they made that trade. Really, you know, they knew the clock, um, right. they knew what they gave away. You know, why why they didn't try and accelerate that? I'm I'm not sure, but really, right now, you think of you know both New York teams, perhaps Philly still in the mix. I mean, there's probably a few others, but what what about you on this one? Yeah, I think that you nailed you nailed it, which is what I had initially. I do think both the Mets and Yankees will be involved. You already are starting to hear about how the Yankees are souring on Gary Sanchez to a degree. It would not surprise me at all for them to pursue JT. I believe the Mets will for sure. And, and, and then it just becomes a guessing game. You're right about Philadelphia. I don't think he returns to Philadelphia. I think that they had their opportunity there. I don't feel like he's sour at all there. I feel like I know that he's not sour at all there. I, I think that he would gladly return to Philadelphia, but they, they did have their opportunity. They did not really make a strong effort at all to lock him up. And part of that could be due to the pandemic. Maybe that would have been done opening day. Maybe that would have been the case. But once that that season stopped, I I never got the sense that he was going to do a long term deal with them. So we can include them in the conversation, but I'm not optimistic that that's the spot for him. And then, of course, Peter, you know how this goes every year. There's some team out of nowhere that that jumps into this and 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 tries to make it happen. The teams I put on there, I could tell you without a doubt. And I and I know that Atlanta and the fans, you know, we went back and forth there for the offseason season. Uh, the, the general manager of the Braves loves JT Real Muto, and I think that the Braves will be back in regardless of who's behind the plate there. I do think that they would try in some way to get him. I know that the Padres uh, really coveted him a lot. Certainly their dynamics have changed also uh, in, uh, behind the plate as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's the, there isn't a lot to say right now, but I assure you that as we move on, and as we get closer to this thing, there'll be more teams involved and you'll without a doubt have a team like the Rangers or the Astros or the Mariner. There'll be some team that all of a sudden says, let's make this our off season. Let's go for it. And, and it happens every year, Peter, every year there's that team that just surprises. I mean, who had Toronto signing Hunjin Rue last year for that money that he, nobody had that one. And they jumped in. Maybe Toronto is involved in this too. So so the main the main teams, you know, and then it would not surprise me at all to see somebody jump back in. In terms of Miami, they would love to have JT back. Of course they would, but he's going to command, I, I think, close to, if not more than $200 million. There was a report that's saying that he had to have 250 or he was, he was telling teams to. I mean, none of that was is accurate. Uh, he's going to look at every deal and every possibility that's out there, every club and, and the pros and the cons to that. And Miami would be on a list for, for of teams that he would go to. There's no doubt in my mind, but the financial part of this is, is astronomical and, and well-deserved. He's the best player at his position in the game. And Peter, he is, I don't think he is going to get a call from whoever the Marlins uh, president of baseball ops is or head ops or Derek Jeter and say, JT, we'd love to have you back. And J, oh, I love playing there. Yeah, sure. So here's three years and, and 60 million. You know, it's, it's just that Peter's just not going to get it done. It is not going to get it done. So if the, if the Marlins were to step up and 
join the big boys and want to spend the 150 or the 200 or the 250, whatever this thing ends up being, then yeah, they'd be a player in it. But I don't see it right now. No, I, I think it'd be very surprising. I mean, Chen's money is off the book, so they do have a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of wiggle room. But you're, you're right. You, you'd be looking for, you know, 20 million over 10 years or something and, you know, something crazy like that. I don't know. It's I, I can't see it happening personally. But right. I know uh, two two final topics. Kinsler, does he come back next year? Do you think they make it happen? I know they declined it, but. I don't think so. I, I think I think that they, they can say all the right things there, but that was a relatively inexpensive option to to pick up. And, and you know, my guess is in the offseason, because of the nature of the finances, Peter will see some team get him for less, maybe two million, maybe a million and a half. But uh, I, I, I think early on in the process, they were leaning toward keeping him. But with all of the names that you saw not being tendered contracts, I think they probably took a second look at this and said, wait, like, why are we guaranteeing this, this guy 3 million um, when we may be able to get somebody better for less? And, and I think that that's fair. It's a harsh business. That's the business of baseball is there's the grass is always greener on the other side. Maybe there's always somebody better. So I don't, I don't think he will be back. And the Marlins covet somebody that throws hard in the ninth inning. I think that that's what they're chasing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, remember the rules could change. The rules could be the same. Also, remember in extra innings with that runner on second base, Kinsler made it pretty clear he didn't like that. And that's really not his forte, right? Like he comes into a game not looking for a strikeout. He's looking for a ground ball. Yeah. So if Kinsler gives up two ground balls, the other team takes the lead, Peter, right? So, you know, that may be a factor in this too. I don't know the answer to that, but I I thought he was a very important part of the team. I thought that they should have made the effort to bring him back in some way through the years. They've given Curtis Granderson and and Cameron Mabin and, and Neil Walker, you know, a million, two million, whatever it is to, to sort of be mentors. And, and I'm, and I guess that Kinsler they felt would be too expensive of a mentor at the option money that they tried. So We'll see. I, I don't think so, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I feel it'd be a shame. I, what I sensed from afar and from the UK was he was a big part of that, that clubhouse personality. Without a doubt. Yeah, Without a doubt. He, he really was. He was, uh, he was a lot of fun on the, on the Zoom calls too when he, when he dropped on. He was. He was. One final one for you, Craig. And this Rob Newell, who, uh, who joins the UK pod all the time, he asked me this uh, in advance. Just said to get your take on where you see things going minor league-wise. Um, we're talking about whether there's whether the Marlins are going to have, I guess, all of their affiliates in Florida, if that's the way things are trending, and what that means for Wichita, um, which obviously <laughs> hasn't you know, didn't have a season this year. So, w- w- what's the latest on that kind of situation? If if you know, sure. Yeah, I was the first one to report that on the podcast that they were going to be uh, leaving Wichita, which is what I believe. It's not official yet, and there'll be no official comment from the Marlins. I believe the Yankees commented on on some of their affiliates. But yeah, they're trying to regionalize minor league baseball. It, it hurts for Wichita. It makes sense for major league baseball. Um, if the Marlins can can have a guy on a plane and back in house in an hour, as opposed to an overnight flight, or or you know the next day, or have their executives have to fly to Wichita as opposed to Pensacola or Jacksonville, it just does make a lot more sense. And unfortunately, that's going to mean more elimination, I think, of leagues and of teams. And that's not somebody that anybody wants to hear. But the economics of baseball basically say less travel time, ease of use, 
and, and having players more at your disposal is, is going to be crucial. So my belief is that Jacksonville will become the AAA affiliate. They'll go from AA to AAA. And then the AA affiliate I'm hearing is, is possibly Pensacola. So we'll have to see if that plays out as well. What's interesting is that the Florida State League seems to be losing their high A affiliate and maybe becomes low A. And I really can't decipher why that is. The only thing that I can think of is really the Marlins are the only ones who benefit from having the high A close by and all of the other teams uh, in the Florida State League, none of them are, are, are in the South for the most part. Like a lot of them are in other places. The Twins are you know, out West and, and the Yankees are, are in New York and the Mets in St. Lucie, the Mets are in New York. So I, I don't know how they're going to do that, but it feels like high A is becoming low A. That's mm-hmm. at least some of the scuttle that I've heard. So I don't know how or what that changes, but that's something to keep an eye on also. Also interesting to see if, if Palm Beach, where the Astros and Nationals play, maybe that's part of this as well, is that they want to add uh, single A teams to the mix. They have a great ballpark over there, Peter, with no minor league baseball being played. And so if they could potentially add two more teams to a new group of minor league of, of a minor league system, maybe a low A. So the Marlins would play Houston's low A. They would play Washington's low A. I think Houston's low A is like quad cities somewhere. And, and that could be part of it as well. I don't know the answer to, to the single A conversation. That's what I'm hearing. It's nothing official. Awesome. Craig, I think we're just about out of time, if not slightly over. So I will let you go. Um, thank you so much for your time and for all of the updates. Uh, my notifications uh, remain on for you anyway throughout the offseason, as I'm sure the majority of uh, Marlins Twitter will be. So, Craig, thanks again. Episode 77 in the books to the listeners. We'll be back in the next couple of weeks with uh, another special guest or two. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Thanks again, guys. Be back soon.